Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Read a Song of Ice and Fire, episode 144, Brienne 2 in a Feast for Crows. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. Yes, we are making our way through the Riverlands. Downtown, walking fast, faces passing, I'm home. Do, 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 do. We're in the Crownlands. Where is Sansa Stark? I don't know. I'm not gonna go in the right place. Okay. Uh, but actually, yeah. in this, she basically does say, "If I could fall, I would walk a thousand miles." You know, she basically does say that in this chapter. So you could also give it to, uh, you know, if she could walk five hundred mm-hmm. miles. In- you know, walk we could five hundred more. Yeah, I feel a playlist. You know, I know the show meme. The bad show meme was like Gendry rowing was the meme, right? But I'm out here like Brienne and her horse, just clopping, uh, quopping, if you will. Oh, along. No clop. <laughs> hey everyone, we're so glad you're here. We're glad to be here. I love this chapter. Uh, I'm gonna tell you about. How much yeah. I love this chapter today. I Chloe am. really loves this chapter. She just kept saying, like, every Sorry. every single day she would message me and be like, I love this chapter. I love Brienne so much. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Happy for you. Y'all were here for MILF summer, oh MILF spring, but now we're getting into tall girl autumn, tall girl, tall girl autumn. winter. <laughs> Here to stay. Here to stay. Okay, before we jump into all that, before we unravel all of that today, we gotta do some housekeeping. Patreon episode this month. Patrons in the stranger tier, $5 and above at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N. And above, we'll get a very special episode this month with some of our very favorite people that have been on the show before, actually. Uh, but this will be for patrons. And Eliana, will you do the honors? It's your favorite thing. Is it my favorite thing? I don't know. Uh, the way you like to say it, okay, it is. Okay, yes. I do have a specific way that I would like to talk about this episode. We are going to do November, right? Where we're going to talk about Nymeria with our good friends AK and Ashea. Yes. I'm excited to have both back. Ashea was last on back in Sansa. Oh shit! Yeah, I think you're right. And then yeah, and AK was on with Asha, which is actually longer ago now than I thought it was. Because turns out I don't understand how time passes. Shit! Even Jamie was a while. It was a while ago. It was like 2020, and then yeah. I mean, when when we were reviewing our dance episodes recently, because speaking of joining people, if you haven't checked it out, we recently guested on Direwolf City. We had a wonderful time to talk about the Dance of the Dragons. That was recorded in... We did our those episodes in 2018. Oh my god. Yeah, through 2018 to 2019. And I'm sure we remarked heavily, like, I'm not the same person I was one year ago then, too. So we were annoying then, too. And you can find those at patreon.com yeah. slash girlsgonecanon as well. Yeah. You can. And we talked a little bit about some expectations for House of the Dragon. And uh, for this Nymeria episode, we might talk a little bit about... There have been some rumors swirling about a potential Nymeria television adaptation. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know that Ashe is passionate about it. 
Yeah, Shea over at History of Westeros is super passionate about Nymeria. And AK, uh, you can find her YouTube. We'll link that below as well. But Alicia Kingston, the Lord Commander, is Mm. always passionate about uh, pretty much any of the fucking great female characters of Aeswath, right? I mean, but specifically, I know AK's excited for Nymeria too. So I'm excited for November. Please come check it out. And we'll drop the link for our... Hot D discussion yeah. with Dire Wolf City. Some hot D's in that house. Speaking of other things in housekeeping, in this house specifically. In this hot D. <laughs> this hot D. So <laughs> hot Discord. Indeed, indeed. Our Discord is hot. Um <laughs> You can also access our Discord on Patreon for patrons in the $10 tier and above, Thunder tier and above, and not only are there many channels for people to enjoy and talk with one another, there is also once a month a Discord brunch slash happy hour. I love brunch. I love brunch and happy hour. It is a time to kick back, you know, get get your wig loose. Well, last month specifically. Last month was Halloween themed. Oh, you had right? a wig. That's Some right. Us. Yeah, I was wearing a wig. I was I was getting a little little hot D up in that house. I had a little Rhaenyra outfit on. You know, a cute little Rhaenyra outfit. It was a fun time. We had a really good time. Played some uh, silly Jackbox games and laughed and talked about Aeswath and books and whatever. And this month, we're doing something on November 21st. It's a Sunday. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at days. I already got it wrong twice today, so I'm getting with it. Sunday, November 21st from 1 to 3 p.m. Eliana time. Yeah. We'll be doing a Harvest Feast themed potluck PowerPoint presentation. Say that three times fast. Where patrons will submit three to five slides of the Harvest theme. So whatever you want to talk about Harvest themed, Submit them over at Girls Gone Canon if you are a patron in the Thunder tier and above and have access to Discord. And we're going to do a little fun presentation, some giveaways, some overall autumnal love before the holidays happen for us in the U.S. And, you know, life gets busy. Holidays are happening soon. Mm-hmm. There are, People have families know, or friends or whatever. They're going to be holidays like right after that episode. So we are trying to meet with this family first before people meet with their other families if they are so you know bring the harvest and yeah we haven't done a powerpoint potluck in a while so i'm pretty excited to see what people bring this time that's always it's always really fun to learn from folks so looking forward to that yes and of course one more thing for November. As you all know, we also cover the His Dark Materials series, and once a month, we do a His Dark Materials episode around the books. Mm, this month, we will be covering an episode. We are past the halfway point now. We are well into this book, The Amber Spyglass, the third of its kind. Uh, the third of its name. And... I, I don't know. I'm very excited. It's a sad book. You all, you motherfuckers like sad shit. Yeah. You're on here every week. You're listening. You like the sad shit. Uh, so come listen and read His Dark Materials. And truly, uh, I, I think it's a good starting point. We're going to be covering some really fun books in the future. No spoilers right now, but get get your books and ready and out. You know, get that library decked out. 
deck the halls with lots of books, follow la la because uh, we're going to read other shit. We are going to And get sad other about things. other shit. Yeah. Oh, are those sad? Okay. Okay. All right. Oh! I mean... <laughs> We've already yeah, got they're plans. They're literally sad and gay. We've already got plans, so... Hmm. Well... Let's just get sad about Brienne first, right? We're here, in the Riverlands, in A Feast for Crows. We can start it all off with a lightning round. Yeah, coming at ya. First is Sam 1. John sends Sam to the Citadel to learn and become a maester. Arya 1. Arya journeys to Bravos, arriving at the House of Black and White. In Cersei 2. Cersei attends Tywin's wake, and Kevin reveals he knows her secrets. <gasps> like in Pretty Little Liars. Yes, and in, in true true Roy family fashion, she says fuck off. <gasps> That's Pretty Little Liars, right? <laughs> it's the same thing, right? Logan Roy. It's like the Logan same Roy's idea, just capsuled. Right? <sighs> <sighs> Cox, a legend. And that brings us to Jamie 1. Jamie stands vigil over his father's body. And that brings us to... The Hedge Knight, where by chapter's end, Dunk has... <laughs> no. I'm so sorry. Let me just back That's that up. That was I us. I it. Years I fumbled it. I... <sighs> Welcome to Brienne 2, which is literally an ode to the Hedge Knight. This this is an ode to the Hedge Knight. Brienne 2 is, in my opinion, one of my favorite chapters in probably all the books. One of my top ten, at least. Uh, for... The Duncan Egg parallels alone for the sadness, the lore, how rich it is with lore. Every corner we're about to turn is just like, it's luring over us. And, you know, for Brienne's bravery and perseverance to do the right thing. I love you, Brienne, so much. Oh, my God. So let's get on the horse and ride. So, Duskendale's gates are closed and barred when Brienne arrives. She gets in line behind wains and ox carts, waiting for the city to open, and when daylight breaks, the line is about a quarter mile long. What concert are they going to? Wrong answers only. This fiasco I attended. Yeah. Uh, You know what else is very long? This chapter. There's a lot in this chapter. (sighs) So long. I was surprised. I was like, this is clearly an ending point, you know, because... We're rereading. I'm like, this seems like a good ending point for this. We've we've covered a topic, then it's like, no, there's another topic, and yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. One of the first topics is that the farm folk around her give her curious looks, and she feels very shy speaking to strangers, as she always had felt, but pushes herself in the name of Sansa Stark. I find myself doing that all the time, personally, <laughs> pushing myself in the name of Sansa Stark. <laughs> you too, actually. And I, I this is just. This idea of having to push yourself to talk and being shy about talking to strangers is a great start to the chapter. It tells you a little about Brienne that we've kind of really known, but get to see more of that insecurity. And it's going to come full circle and pay off at the end. I'll let you know when we get there. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she, the end is actually like, like you said, like, oh, it's a very abrupt ending. You think about it, but when you get in here, it's thick to get to that yeah. ending. So on our way, Brienne asks the turnip cart woman in front of her, have you seen my sister? And she shakes her head no, and her husband says, I wager she has no maidenhood now. Hmm. Okay. Thank you for your and opinion. And asks, yeah, right? Like, hmm. Glossing over it. Brienne, he asks Brienne if the sister has a name, and Brienne starts to make one up. I really feel this. She's like, yeah, and she's about to make one up, and then she's like, nope, nope, no name. Got nothing. 
he actually specifically responds to her with, the roads are full of nameless girls. And his wife says that, of course, the graveyard is far fuller. Yeah. I, that's a bummer. You know, that's uh, for all. dead girls outlining, mm-hmm. bummer for all, outlining the chapters uh, is just dead girls and nameless girls. But yeah. uh, we actually get the POV of some nameless girls, right? Like Arya and Sansa. And we even get to see firsthand Jane, mm-hmm. who now is Arya. She's nameless. They're littered throughout this chapter and mentions, not just by name, but also by themes. And uh, Brienne's quest is revolving around all of them. Yeah, it is. And and constantly reminding us, right, of someone's looking for these girls, right, for Sansa, but how many people aren't looking for those girls? But perhaps even Brienne at this moment is somewhat of a nameless girl because she is trying to fly a little bit incognito on this quest, except for every now and then where she has to bust out Tom and Seal, but... Uh, I, I also kind of wonder, I feel like giving a false name when you're trying to look for, you know, Sansa Stark, I don't think it would help that much anyway. Because then, like, you'd be leading people astray in your search. You know? Yeah. They'd get, they, people would get confused. So, it's not that helpful. And unfortunately, like, she, I think she kind of thinks about it at some points, right? But she can't get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> she is a, uh, a known figure. You know? <laughs> Even to some of these folks. Indeed. Indeed. Guardsmen appear at dawn, down from the parapets, opening up the gates to the town, and loads of fruits and vegetables are displayed beyond her place in line. Wealthy townsmen on palfreys farther back, and even a skinny boy on a piebald roundsy even farther than that. She glances and does not see the merchant, nor Sir Shadrich. As she nears the gates, they halt her, asking her purpose, and linger on her shield, her Lothstan shield, calling them arms of ill repute. Regarding the Lothstan shield, obviously this got brought up last chapter, but it is interesting that it comes back again, and Chloe gave us a much more in-depth look at the Lothstans last episode, but I do want to briefly just say that the small folk, I mean, it, it's interesting that they still remember the Lothstans at this point, because they, they have a memory for the lords who treated them so terribly, and that's why the Lothstan shield and the symbol even now is still so terribly regarded, and still seen as dangerous and ominous and bad luck. It's only one of actually the three like extinct houses we're going to discuss this chapter. A lot of extinct houses this chapter, and the public attitude that, towards the Darklands is also kind of interesting to, because it contrasts quite a bit. I enjoyed kind of looking into some of that history as far as the Darks and the Darklands and the Hollards and just understanding the area more Yeah, while reading about this chapter. I... I think on first look, this chapter is a navel gazer. You like go through it and you're like, all right, all right. But once you've read the series and you've read the outer works, and I'm not saying that like you should need to be able to do that to enjoy a story, obviously, yeah. but I digress. Uh, it, it's just like really enjoyable on a reread of how all of these themes are kind of mushing together in a sandwich. And some of the stuff with fire and blood with the Darklands and understanding their place in the Targaryen faction. And it's it's great that we get to come here because so much of the history does happen in Duskendale and also I mean just last last POV we kept being like, damn, those people just got sent to Duskendale. <laughs> A completely different place than would have been strategic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well uh. Brienne comments about this arms of ill repute and says that she does mean to have the shield repainted, okay? 
It's just like a hand-me-down that she picked up. And the captain then points her to the painted doors across from the Seven Swords. And he's like, my sister does this kind of work. I love the painted doors that we see in the series. We don't have like a lot of really, really significant ones he details, but I just love picturing them. And we do get another one. Uh, Hmm. And we'll go over in just a little bit when we get the description what is on these painted doors. But the other one that comes to mind is from a place we have been, but we don't see them from Brienne or from Jamie. We see them from Arya at the Inn of the Kneeling Man. The painted sign above the door showed a picture of some old king on his knees. Inside was the common room where a tall, ugly woman with a knobby chin stood with her hands on her hips. This is truly the only, like, painted door we see it's very special and we don't see anyone come back to this inn. Hmm. We don't hear anything of this inn either. So it's like, you know, in our terms, this is like the hole in the wall bar, you know, the dive bar yeah. that you love and no one knows about. And you go there and you get your, you know, your your 350 with inflation <laughs> PBR and no one bugs you. And it's a beautiful door to a weird hole in the wall bar. I just I would go to this inn. I would definitely go to this inn. Absolutely. And I I think I would go and think that it was obscure, but maybe everyone else would actually know about it. And And then you'd post an Instagram and bitches would flock to it. You're a ruiner. You're an influencer and you're a ruiner. Don't think that many people follow me. (laughs) I'm not an influencer, but I will say... I don't even follow you. Speaking of painted doors, also the, the red door, that's painted. Mm-hmm. that's it that's all i had i did think of that i did think about that as the only painted door everything else is a sign yeah or like i mean i, I thought about like the house of black and white and it was like no the wood is that color it comes that way yeah it's part and part right part weird wood part part wood <laughs> ebony uh what whoa wait a second is that door part weirwood, part the trees from the fucking... Think yeah, so. I thought so. But what if it is? It says ebony, but it could be. I mean, like, the tree, we don't know that it's, so it's ebony. ebony wood. Black barked. They just know it's black barked. So I'm just saying... Yeah. I Yo, okay. Anyway, I, I think I don't think we don't know that, like, for the shade of the evening. It's basically probably ebony. I, we just know they're ebony They're probably trees. basically I mean, ebony. But we don't have, like, a... Yeah. I mean, they just don't specifically have a special tree name, is all I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Trees. I mean, they are a special tree. I'm not eating <laughs> fucking paste made from the fucking blue-ass leaves on it. What I don't have fuck? energy That's for an that anymore. Ass. When I was 25, yeah. I would eat anything that grew in the ground, okay? I'm a different woman. Sam. Um, I don't know about 25. And you can keep that in. Earlier. Yeah. Oh, no, I'll keep it this <laughs> So... That man gestures to the guards, saying to let Brienne pass, because it's a wedge, so whatever. And then she enters the market square, where everything from grain to armor is being sold, and the armor and wares are sold cheaply. They are also still caked in blood from battle. <sighs> Second hand. She knows many of the badges, the white sun, the double-bladed axe... The moose, the mailed fist, also the red and green apples, one of my favorite houses. The thunderbolts <laughs> of good, trappings with Ambrose Prince, and the Tarly Huntsman as well. We have a line of friend or foe, the crows care not. Caca! <laughs> you know, 
I was thinking of you a lot in this chapter because of the shield stuff going oh, on you. and because of your uh your Foss away boy getting his shield repainted mm. in the old Duncan egg. Yes. I was thinking about you. Full circles. Like an <laughs> apple. That's a circle, kinda. Ish. <laughs> Brienne quits her window shopping and she heads past the shops after considering a couple of the cheap pine shields, but she thinks that the oak shield Jamie gave her gave more protection. Oak gave you better protection, she thinks, if you were strong enough to bear its weight. She's so strong. I know. She is strong, and he knew. You know, Mm -hmm. he knew her power. I love uh, this line about trees from the hedge knight, from Pate. The elm's alive, Pate pointed out. See how green the leaves are? Summer leaves, for certain. And I've seen shields blazing with skulls and wolves and ravens, even hanged men Hmm. and bloody heads. They served well enough, and so will this. You know the old shield rhyme? Oak and iron, guard me well. Yes! Mm -hmm. Oak is it. It Oak is is lit and oak is it. It is. Feels so... Feels real intentional. Duskendale is built around its harbor, and north of the town you can see chalky cliffs. South, a rocky headland shielding ships at anchor. And the castle overlooks the port with a square keep and large drum towers. Brienne finds it easier to walk than ride in the crowded streets, so she stables her mare, her bedroll and shield tucked and slung across her back. She finds the captain's sister at the Seven Swords, the town's largest inn. The inn is a four-story structure with double doors, again, painted gorgeously. I do love... I just love it. It's beautiful. Double doors, a castle in an autumn wood, trees in gold and russet, ivy up the ancient oaks, and acorns as well. Mm. But when she looks closely, she notices that there are creatures. There's a red fox, there's two sparrows on a branch, and the shadow of a boar hanging over a certain part of it. Wow, what great symbolism. I love Mm -hmm. that George is so into that, that he's just like, what if we just added a couple details for for the bitches at home? And I'm bitches in this scenario. Uh, The shadow of the boar is Robert's kingship, right? Lingering over the court and over the story. The two sparrows are the religious conflict that's heading straight towards King's Landing. We obviously just had the last chapter where we saw them doing so. The sly red fox could be Littlefinger, it could be uh, the Dornish faction, I don't know, you know, red, just spitballing. It all feels like symbolism, it feels important. It does feel important. Yeah, I I definitely thought that about the sparrows and maybe the boar. I'm still like, I'm still not sure about the fox, but you know, what does the fox say? No. (laughs) Let's see, I mean, maybe. Could be what does the fox say, but it, it sounds like such a gorgeous door, and like as you were saying earlier, such an awesome inn to visit. Brienne compliments the door, same as we are, when a dark-haired woman opens it to her. The woman says of the castle that it's meant to represent all castles, and she's actually only ever seen the Dunford by the harbor, and that she made them up in her head. And she explains, like, yeah, I could. Paint a castle. I've never seen a dragon, obviously, or a griffin, or a unicorn. In a very cheerful disposition, and Brienne shows her the shield. And when she does, the woman's face darkens because, as as we've discussed, this is not a, it's not the greatest symbol, not the most popular symbol around here. But I just like this exchange, right? And how the woman says that 
it's representative of all the castles, yet isn't one at all, and really, I think, speaks to that idea of fantasy, right? And, and the power of stories that this is very much what Brienne's arc is about, and of course, A Song of Ice and Fire is kind of about, and also that power of imagination, right? Not to be, like, too cheesy, but in regards to the dragon, griffin, and unicorn, having to draw that out and bring that to life for people from inside your head like that's very much what george has to do right as a writer but uses words instead of pictures and to an extent this thought of like i mean i've never seen a castle but i'm making one now it reminds me a little bit of egret constantly wondering is this finally a castle john snow oh that's a great thought you know the the real or not yeah and i love that it like levels it too i mean for egret that never mattered Mm -hmm. for these people that never mattered what does it matter? I'm not fucking going in that castle. Yeah, she's like, as long as people understand it's a castle and it means something to them, that's what that's what's important. Yes. Yeah. And it is something for her to be proud of, you know, coming from a place that had that. Because it also represents, you know, like, dreams and shit. Mm-hmm. That the shit could get better than just living in bumfuck off the fucking beaten path at Maidenpool, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I know kids that, you know, lived it. Lived that shit, you know, like lived off the beaten path of Maidenpool and man, they would kill to get out. But if they had a cool bar, I mean, they'd love that shit. I've been to it cool is bars a, like it that. It sounds like a really cool bar. And also... So cool. Like cheap ass drinks, like really good. And if you made friends with the bartender, you know that she'd like, you know, hook it up. Yeah. Hook it up. Indeed. All right. She, I, I actually really love the inclusion of this. It reminds me, this bar really does remind me of, like, doing stand-up in the middle of nowhere back in 2014, yeah. Just just so you know, it reminds me of doing stand-up, driving, like, an hour hmm. and a half in Michigan on some fucked highway, you know, middle of nowhere, and getting to, like, a biker bar. You had no clue where you were going. You show up, you're like, oh, I guess this is the night. This is what we're doing. <laughs> Gotta tell jokes about anal, you know? All right. <laughs> Let's anal see what Targaryen. happens. <laughs> Anal Targaryen. Ah, that's what it reminds me of. And here Brienne is. She's about to do a tight five. Uh, she, All right. she talks to the woman and the woman tells Brienne her mother used to say giant bats flew from Harrenhal on moonless nights carrying bad children to mad Danelle Lothston for her cookpots. Again, Catelyn's presence is reminded in this story, mm. right? Like every chapter, there's a little reference to remind us of her and her loss and her eventual comeback. Uh, but the shield artist specifically reminds me of Tansel Tutal from the Hedge Knight, yes. the puppeteer and puppet painter who paints his shield. It is, let's be honest with each other, it's an obvious, re- like, I, it, it's a one-one. Like, it's being purposefully included that the shield artist has this dark hair. So, luckily for the shield artist, she doesn't have to flee for her life from assholes, right? Like, Tansel kind of had to do, at least not today. We don't know what happens hmm. to her in the future. True. I hope she doesn't have to, but shit isn't great out here, right? War has hit these lands. I love uh, that Dunk's shield, right, still bore the arms of its last owner, a hanged man swinging grim and gray beneath a gallows tree. And hmm. here, Brienne has the Lothstons omened now, just like in the last chapter. And there's also something interesting in having your own shield and reclaiming your name. Right, reclaiming who you are. As we move forward with this chapter, Brienne has a lot of guilt, uh, survivor's guilt over Renly especially, right? And guilt at not being able to perform in the way she wanted to. And it's time for a change, obviously, for her. You know, she she can't keep 
walking around with a Lothston shield. And some of this change feels like it's out of control for her, much like Dunk doesn't feel at home with Arlen's shield. Uh, although it's a great shield, it just doesn't fit him. And both Dunk and Brienne, they've felt this way their entire lives. Brienne specifically, too, with the mismatched armor and swords and never having clothing or, you know, things that fit her in the way she preferred. The black, gray, red sword she's getting uh, and the armor and garb that Jamie gives her, you know, versus Dunk getting these things from the Targaryens that we haven't seen quite yet in full on page. I'm sure that's a thing. You know, I'm sure that's a little bit of a similarity between them. Absolutely. That's a great point. And... Being known as a killer of kings. And as you said, right, like the, the reminders of everything like in Brienne's story kind of like coming up here. And I like that it's coming up in those symbols and really tying together the future of her story with, with her family past, of course. So, yeah, it's really something about the gallows. The gallows. So she asks Brienne, what do you want in its place? And Brienne thinks of the arms of Tarth were quartered Rose and Azur, bore a yellow sun and crescent moon, but so long as men believed her to be a murderess, Brienne dare not carry them. Your door reminded me of an old shield I once saw in my father's armory. She described the arms as best as she could recall them. In love with the way that he doesn't tell us, <laughs> right? You have to hold out for the second half of the chapter. Yes. <sighs> George, that's so tasty. Thank you. Uh, the Thank you for doing this to me. <laughs> Edging with the shield. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> much like Sansa has become a bastard brunette in the veil, and Arya's becoming no one, right, as we sit and breathe, Brienne's kind of being forced to discard her identity, right, as maid of Tarth. Ha! Discarding her maidenhood, since she's oh. already, you know, penetrated with her sword to most people's thoughts. I mean, that is really interesting. You know. Yes. And- it is kind of like that, right? If we're talking about the sword as a, you know, the hammer is the dick. Brienne pegged Renly. Yeah, is what much. people think. Um, that is what they think, and it's it's also like I, I like what you pointed out here of her discarding her identity as the maid of Tarth as well, because like obviously that was bad for her last chapter, but it feels like the maid of Tarth is something that was put on her, and now she's trying to figure out and define her own her own identity. I also know this sounds crazy, but. Brienne choosing these arms, right? They have the. Uh, we all know what the arms are going to be, okay? Because this is again a reread podcast, and we are assuming you've read Duncan Egg and the Hedge Knight because that is also the first thing that we did together. But like, you don't have to have read it because we did it together. But we just assume maybe you have. I don't know because you're here. And anyway, the arms have a star slash falling star, right? Shooting star. And besides the whole like Duncan the Tall stuff. Like, the whole imagery of it all just kind of gives me, like, fuzzy magical girl anime feelings because of, like, also the sun and the moon stuff on, like, the the Tarth arms and, like, how in Sailor Moon there would be, like, transformations. And obviously the moon is part of it and the sun, right? Those are symbols and, like, power comes from those two in Sailor Moon. But in the transformations later on they move on to, like, star power or they call in, like, the stars to protect them. But it also reminds me a little bit of card capture Sakura. When, like, I don't know if any of you remember, to, like, kind of just spoil it, but the cloud cards, right? The cloud cards originally draw powers to an extent from the sun and the moon, from, like, Kiroberos and Yue. But then later on, she has to turn it all into, like, 
Sakura cards, and they take their magic from Sakura's star. So, anyway, Magic Knight, Brienne. Like, she was the actual source of the magic. She is the magic. She's her own shining star. Uh, She's my shining star. Oh my god. And to bring it back to to purely A Song of Ice and Fire, Ashara Dane is a magical girl, right? In that exact same logic you just had with Mm -hmm. the falling star motif. She is. So, falling stars, that makes her a magical girl. Uh, and and I do co-make the rules with you. Yes, so you do. I will be stamping my approval on that. But like <laughs> Brianna Tarth, Ashara Dane, uh, there's girls. a handful. A handful. Indeed. Yeah. The woman at the inn nods and says, "All right, I'll bring you the shield in the morning." And Brienne hadn't meant to stay the night, but she honestly has no clue if her plans to see the castle's lord are going to work out. So she thanks her and crosses to the inn, where an emblem swings, and there are seven wooden swords beneath an iron spike with cracked and peeling whitewash. And we have a line of, They stood for the seven sons of Darklin, who had worn the white cloaks of the Kingsguard. No other house in all the realm could claim as many. And I'm like, wow, seven, a very obviously important number in general, but also of the Kingsguard. It's very symbolic. And and there so there are five in the story that are officially named, right? Mm. Robin, Davos, Roland, Stefan, and Robert. Donal of Duskendale served for Darren Targaryen and Ares One. We actually meet him in Hedge Knight. He escorts Targaryen princes to Ashford. Uh, there are two randos, like I said, that we don't know. Robin Darklin was under Aegon I. Davos Darklin was under Magor. He was slain by Carl Corbray by Lady Forlorn, actually. Good for him. Hmm. In battle, beneath the god's eye. Uh, and Stefan Darklin was under Viserys I, and also Rhaenyra I. Hmm. Sorry, I don't, I don't uh, agree with history and its erasure, so I would like to put out there. Also served under Rhaenyra I, and he tried to ride a dragon and gets burnt during trying to mount during dragon seeds, if I remember. He he was like, oh, I could do it. He got on and his dumb ass died. I like this man, though, because he stole the, the Viserys' crown to bring to Rhaenyra. Mm-hmm. He has yeah, re- Stefan yeah. was a real one. He gets props from me. Not not all of them. He's do. what we call a, a a ride and die. Yes, you could say. So bad. Stefan Darklin is a ride and die. There was also Sir Harold Dark, who was also kind of a ride and die, not in the same way. He warned Rhaenyra to hide in the Vale, uh, but then they arrived and got ambushed by Aegon II's crew, and he gets his head split open. Bummer for all. Robert Darklin gets named to Egg Three's Kingsguard, but then Unwin Peak, you know, steps in and he's like, You're 12. He can't be your Kingsguard. All of his bullshittery. So I- interesting, uh I don't know. Interesting. There are a lot of a lot of Darklins, and it I kind of actually rather like that we don't get an up close view of them besides yeah. Dantos and that they're all dead, you know, that's very ease of access for me so i have to want more of them and can't literally cannot have them literally there is no way i will have them literally they are all dead as we're gonna learn today all dead except for dantos who's also dead dead that is true dantos is in fact dead um that's actually pretty sad again um and dead the house darkland is like house darkland is like the state of virginia right who's like contributed what eight presidents They've contributed seven Kingsguard. I mean, Kingsguard have significantly less power than a, than a president, but similar idea. So are you saying Virginia should get... Never mind. Uh, <laughs> no. 
Yeah, Virginia is a great... I, I never would have thought of it, and I know you have personal Virginia experience. <laughs> That's the only Ms. reason Virginia. I fucking know, all right? <laughs> I'm not quite that close with her. <laughs> uh, I, I also just want to throw this out. Is this something? We're just going to start throwing things at the wall. Yeah. Is this something? Uh, Darkling, Darklin Duck? I think it's possible. No. I really do. I feel like this is a costume. Like... Oh, dark wing duck, dark lin duck. Does it not already exist? You should do it. Someone should do it. I think someone should do it. Someone should do that. It's a good idea. I don't have the energy or the time. Someone do dark lin duck. Someone should do it. Dark lin duck would be such a great crossover. If you do it, whomever, please send us a picture. Yo, you could do the seven darklins of the Kingsguard, and then you could have ducktails. Ducktails. I don't know all the words. Wait, are any of them? No, none of these are Huey, Dewey, and Louie, so that there goes that theory. Um, anyways. <laughs> I thought it was like maybe even though you just went through all of them, I was like, did I miss one that had a name like that? But no. George, are you influenced by Ted Osborne? Please oh respond, Eliana. <laughs> um Back to the story, back to Brienne. Brienne gets a second story room and a bath and also a history lesson from the woman who pours her bath. She asks if there are any Darklands left in Duskendale, and the woman says that she is a Dark, D-A-R-K-E, and that you can find the Darks, Dark Wood, Dark Goods, but no Darklands. Lord Dennis was the last. She also explains that the Darklands were kings before the Andals came, and jokes that she and her kin have royal blood. She asks if the water was hot. Uh, it isn't, which is kind of sad. And then she'd bring more. She also says, but a girl the size of you would just slop over. Brienne fills the tub. And Brienne thinks, like, only a cramped small tub. The Harrenhal tubs were huge, and it fit her and Jamie. And I'm like, damn, Brienne. She's, she's been living large lately, not, not because of her height, but being wine and dined in nice places and now she's picky about her tubs okay listen i'm gonna defend her <laughs> everyone heard chloe say she every wants day a five star podcast for the next month <sighs> she's a five-star bitch is she what i'm is gonna say to you <laughs> brianna of tarth is a five-star bitch and she deserves no rich bitch cold got a rich bitch cough um okay first of all what about men the size of her what, where do they bathe? I, I was wondering that. I was like, yeah, she's really tall for a woman, but like, they're definitely men. Like, that exists. I agree. I've heard. Allegedly. I mean, in the known world in Westeros, George has made it pretty clear men could exist. Maybe. A- and we've allowed him to have that concession. You know? <laughs> I've taken the decision. <laughs> Uh, no, but I- I'm just saying it was just a- I-, I didn't think about it till you you said this out loud, and I'm like, yeah, wait a second, a girl the size of you, yeah, because George has said she's not actually like a freak, like she's just like a dude size, you know, like a normal like run of the mill eats oats shits in the street kind of dude, you know, like a six three to se- six five. He- she's not like Sandor's size, he says, like Sandor's yeah. bigger. But she, she said this in a so spake Martin, but she, towers, she is big, she, or, but she towers over some men, especially because like what she actually got like nutrition growing up. And yeah, that's probably why she ate a lot of spinach. Yeah, and goat's milk maybe, and raw eggs. As we're gonna get to. <sighs> Don't get me started. Oh, you're right. It is protein. It's a lot well, of protein. She, she, yeah, Worry. she had access to protein. So. 
Yeah, exactly. And she's got most of her teeth that we know of. I mean, they haven't sure, fallen sure. out from no protein. Which is surprising, but... considering how many fights she gets into. But I guess she wears her helmet. <laughs> well, the books aren't over yet, so Actually, that's true. Buckle up. Some. She's gonna lose some stuff. Uh, listen, as a tall bitch who can't have a nice bath... <laughs> This is bullshit. Make your fucking baths bigger. Like, why should tall bitches have to? We don't. We've already had a hard enough life being so long. My body is like, you know, in Willy Wonka, when they put Violet Beauregard into the taffy puller. Uh, vaguely, I only really remember the blueberry scene. That one was traumatic. Well, they put her in the taffy puller after. Spoiler alert. <laughs> And they stretch that bitch out. And I'm just saying that, like, try to put that stretchy motherfucker in a bathtub. You can't. So make bigger bathtubs. That's that's my PSA. Yeah. It's a hard life. I haven't taken a bath in so... I take a bath only, like, at a hotel if they have a nice bath. I don't have a bathtub. And that's tub. been, what, Yeah. one in a couple... I have one. I only have a shower. Uh, you've seen my bathtub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I only have But a that shower. bathtub's not a bathtub. You know? You've seen it. Mm-hmm. it it's mm-hmm. like a... It exists, but who's gonna bathe in that? It's so small. <laughs> The cats. How do you think? They'll be so upset. (laughs) All right. The next part about this bath shit that we got to get to is that she starts to think about Jamie naked. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then she pulls up some some lye soap and tries to wash the thought away. And she tries to think of Renly's face. The exact thought is, Jamie had come walking through that mist naked as his name day, looking half a corpse and half a god. First things first, what a fucking quote. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if Brienne didn't have a hard-on for Jamie, I would say that George had a hard-on for Jamie. Mm-hmm. He was what a king should look like. You know, like, here he was, half corpse, half god. Okay, George. Yeah, George, George is, like, is into, into that. Him. No, I think he literally yeah. is um, into that sort of imagery and stuff. So, very That's interesting. Um I'm going to spray this girl with a water bottle. In fact, when when Pod shows up in this plot, I'm going to be like, Podrick, every time Brienne thinks about Jamie, especially naked, you need to spray her with this water bottle. Just Pavlov's it, you know? Um, I just, I find it so interesting. Uh, Here we get kind of that view that Renly was perfect because he was untouchable Mm -hmm. in a way, right? Like, he was a figure to worship that she could never have, especially because her whole life she's been made to feel that she is unworthy to love and unworthy to, like, have a positive human interaction and that she is not worth others giving her the time of day, that she takes up space, that she's a waste of space. Like, these are just feelings that she obviously is feeling. But Jamie? Jamie's a scary thing Mm -hmm. for her, right? Because it turns out she could have him. I mean, that that's scary. They, they fucking naked bathe together. She had the Kingslayer at his most vulnerable. She got Kingslayer tramp stamped on her back. Like, I'm just kidding. She didn't do that. At his most vulnerable, right? Like, he was very vulnerable in that bath. And, and I mean, more, he wants to give her swords. You know what that means. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the most intimate thing that I think Jamie can do probably like fight someone yeah and i'm gonna come back to like what you're saying here right now about like the distinction between how she feels about renly and jamie more towards the end of this chapter because this is not the first time that she thinks about the two of them in this chapter and it's not gonna be the last time even in the whole all of her chapters and her whole rest of her feast arc 
Brienne finishes up, dressing in plain cloth and her sword belt, hoping to look tame at the Dunfort and not make the mistake of being too armored. She shouts at the Dunfort to speak with their lord, but the guards that attend her laugh, saying that Lord Riker went off with Randall Tarly, duh, Rufus Leek is the castellan now, and looking after the lady and the children, she gets escorted to Rufus Leek, and I'm like... His last name sounds delicious. He's an older man who sends for his maester to read her letter. But the maester is very irritated because he's like, how many of times have I had to tell you people this? You were the 21st person to ask after him. And then he's like, who are you that I should tell you anything? Do you have any idea? And she procures like, I have this letter from the king. I know last person that you like actually spoke to had a thing from Tywin, but this is bigger. But anyways, um... The maester finally releases it, and some info, that Dantos was a boy when he left Duskendale, and then he gives her a history lesson too, saying that the Darklands were kings once, and that the Hallard served them, and even during the defiance of Duskendale in more recent times, and Brienne uh, is like, yes, I recall all of this. Her own maester had told her that this is when Ares went mad. <sighs> I love this line that... That Brienne is basically only getting exposition in the bath mm. about Ares Targaryen. She's only learning about Ares and his true nature in the bathtub. At Harrenhal, That's she learned true. the truth of what he'd become. Right? Yeah. Mm. And, and But here she's going backwards in time and she's mm. learning why he became that way to an extent. <sighs> you know, like that she's learning the opposite of what Jamie already told her. Like she somehow cheat coded her way to the end of Jamie. And got that info out of him far earlier than knowing this part of it. But uh, we, we learn, of course, and we've talked about this back in Jamie, back in Barristan, that Lord Dennis of Duskendale was married to Lady Sorala, the Mirish Lace Serpent. Uh, and he, of course, says, if only she he had wed a Staunton or a Stokeworth. A lot of people always being like, if only they had wed this person. Yeah, but I think Brienne's really cracked the code behind the hot tub time machine. Is what I'm hearing from you. I'm shutting my laptop. <laughs> you literally interrupted me <laughs> to say that. First of all, that's Brienne and Allison parallels. Allison and my cat, who does the hot tub time machine. Mm, that's so true. She does. <laughs> Out of the hot tub time machine, which truly you could call the pools at Maiden Pool a oh. hot tub time machine today, oh. too. There's a lot of hot tub time machine in we're about to do, but... Mm-hmm. He goes on to say Ares was held within the walls while Tywin sat outside with a mighty host and he had sufficient strength to storm them, but Lord Dennis sent word that at first sign of assault, he'd kill the king. So I think this is such a testament of George's unique POV arrangement that and his writing in general and his gardening strategy, quote-unquote strategy, uh, how he grows the Duskendale plot and foreshadows Tyena's possible betrayal to Cersei, right, who has a little bit of that paranoia akin to Ares's going on. Who wouldn't? She has a very high-pressure job. Do you know what it's like to be a woman in business? Leave her alone. Shivroy, let her live. Anyways, Cersei in Jamie 2 is kind of re- reassuring Jamie that she and her sweet serpent Tyena are playing Marjorie Tyrell, uh, and I don't I don't know. It it works. I guess in this aspect we would have heard more over that from Lord Dennis, right? Like, don't worry, don't worry. Lady Sorella and I have this. We have this. And this is the king. It didn't work out for them, though. Did right, not is what we're about to learn. Work out for them. It's yeah, probably not. Barrister, work. like rescues him. Yeah. 
I don't know if it's going to work out for Shivroy either. Oh. It's not going to work out for Shivroy. Oh, but I'm going to watch her girl boss around it's until so, it doesn't. It's very entertaining. Um, anyway, not to spoil the most recent season of Succession. But anyways, um, yeah, and like you said, we've already talked a lot about the lace serpent and getting like her tongue torn out and her female parts burned alive, and and yeah, they feel a little bit like a Lady Macbeth scenario and. Yeah, she gets done with all the blame, and it's a mix of xenophobia and misogyny, and blaming the whole fall of the house on her, and not on Ares for killing everyone. But I will say, something that I didn't really think about until now is, it's interesting that Tywin gets a whole ass song for having killed two families, yet Ares never got a song for it. He also killed a whole ass family. Oh my god! That's the concert that she was going to hear oh at the God. front. Everyone was in line to hear the Ares Targaryen yes. tribute concert. You nailed it. That's what yeah, it was. He nailed it with his very long nails at the end. Um, mine are getting long. It kind of rings a little crazy that he doesn't get a song because all the songs are about the Targs. Like, damn, that's the day the music died. Yeah, I don't. I just don't know why. Nothing? Like when Ares did it, why were they like, "Oh, we don't like it that Ares did that," but when Tywin did it, everyone was like, "Ooh, very cool, very subversive." And I'm like, because they were but they were know, close, you know. Like for for a brief moment there, they were friends. Maybe they're going through kind of a dry spell like we are, where they don't have true musicians left. Well, you know, like where are the true knights? Where are the true musicians? I mean, all we have is Ariana Grande and Hot Chip. You know, that's that's enough. All right, that is enough. She she does. You know, that's why her ponytail is so big because it helps hold up the rest of the world on her shoulders. You know, we actually also talked about this in our mirror episode at length. Uh, our Patreon mirror episode. Yeah, I think that's where we talked about it. Now that I think about it, in the most length. That's why Eliana's like, I'm done talking about this. <laughs> I'm done playing with this toy. Uh, but, but I have a new toy now. write a song for songs. Aries. <laughs> songs. Uh, someone on their toy write us a song about Aries, you know? A good one. Uh, make it good. God mm. damn it. Make it good or fuck off. Uh, the Hollards were, of course, destroyed after this. The maester, who's telling her all of this, was forging his chain at the time, but had read all of the accounts of the trials and punishments. Everyone was extinguished, save for Dantos, who Barristan asked mercy for. Dantos was taken to Squire, and he never came home. He never returned, and why would he? He had no lands, no kin, no castle. Mm-hmm. He says... If Dantos and this northern girl help murder our sweet king, it seems to me they would want to put as many leagues they could betwixt themselves and justice. Look for them in Old Town, if you must, or across the narrow sea. Look for them in Dorne, or on the wall. Look elsewhere. So there's something kind of poetic about Brienne chasing after Sir Dantos and learning about him here in Duskendale and also in the Riverlands as she's trying to find Sansa. By the time that we meet Sir Dantos, it's not the little boy that Barristan saved, but he's kind of like a lecherous old drunken fool and you like almost feel bad for him that he does something creepy. Then I'm like, scratching up my sympathy. I feel it. But I'm also like, what are you doing, sir? Literally, sir. Uh, But his story is very much also fitting for the theme of broken men, that of course is in Brienne's storyline, and, and just as a great reflection of both Sansa and Brienne's stories, and I don't know, maybe even Danny's is the whole like last of his line thing, because 
he is the sole survivor, saved only by a wish, of Sir Barristan. And that means he's basically raised in King's Landing, right? We learn here that he never has returned to Duskendale. And I'm like, why would he? He had, like, no childhood there, no friends, no family. It's probably just full of ghosts to him. He's like, that place is really sad. My whole family was murdered there. (laughs) And he's isolated and has, like, no roots in anywhere. It's unsurprising that we get a hopeless version of him by the time of a clash of kings who then turns to alcohol for like comfort or joy or for like anything and i'm just like listening to his lonely life it's also interesting to see that he chooses to help sansa who thinks that she is the last of her family left and i mean as far as sir dantos knows and like she does for the most part it's mostly true it's not as we've established during catelyn's chapters but you know everyone thinks so and yeah, Dantos, like, mostly does it for the money, like, but for a moment, he, I think, really does believe that he could be her Florian and help her, and he sees a better version of himself through that story, and in that moment, again, I think it's interesting that Brienne's retracing his steps to find where he could have gone, which, through this investigation, gives the reader a deeper insight into his history, because... Sir Dantos was trying to pattern himself off a song, but he's never gonna get a song, even though he was, like, a fool slash bard, but at least, like, through all these people trying to find Sansa, people are gonna learn about him, his life, and his death, and, you know, again, he tried to live up to being a knight, as Brienne has kind of hoped to do, and... You know, maybe her journey that includes Sir Dantos's past, it's what's going to help her realize that life is not a song. That's so well put, because her story is, like, chock full of all of these really miniature versions of her story, but failed versions, mm. right? Like, it's all these little variants of, like, failed knights, failed men that tried to be knights and threw all their honor away over it, or, you know, didn't quite make the grade uh, for reasons like trauma or reasons like other things like your whole family was killed off and now you have the whole weight of your line on your shoulders it's hard to be your your house's only hope but it feels like a lot of the characters that we're following have that weight on their shoulders for dantos who isn't quite a pov for us but we do spend a tiny bit of time with him you know not not first person i think not knowing makes him that much more effective when you do get to this story yeah and Reflecting on the songs, right? Uh, it's all about the songs this episode, whether it's Aries's rock opera or Florian and Jonquil. Dantos grew up with those stories in his own backyard, mm-hmm. right? Like this is a, a couple miles away down the lane. He was not born far from here. He didn't live far from here, from Maidenpool. And where Florian saw the ladies bathing. So it wasn't just like, Robin John, I'm Ryan Redwine, I'm Sir Eamon the Dragon Knight. Sure, sure. I mean, for for John, you know, at least he's kind of related, but uh, <laughs> it's closer than that. While the kings of winter forbear down on the Stark children and the boys specifically are having these haunted dreams of the crypts, you know, John and Theon, the other Stark child, Theon. Uh, this is the legacy Dantos had to live up to. He was supposed to live up to be something great, a Kingsguard member, as we see, a knight, uh, his own Florian the Fool. But the stories are just ashen. You know, you see, uh, especially later when Brienne chooses the the ruins to hide within and shelter for the night. Yeah. It's just broken. 
it's broken. How's he going to carry a whole redemption arc for, like, an entire family? It's not very fair. Well, and I mean, that's how a lot of other characters are sitting in this story, right? Look at yeah. Theod, Danny, mm-hmm. how Jamie, how, how should they have to carry these things? Yeah, and with no good parenting around them. I mean, we don't know We don't know who raised Dantos. Like, who cared for him? Who took care of that boy? Some fucking knights, dude. Some yeah. fucking knights. For four years, it was, you know, knights. I mean, it doesn't seem it like knights. it was Barristan, even though he asked to save that kid's life. Because we don't get it in his POV. Maybe maybe we will. Maybe George will hear me ask about this in this episode and write it in. Um, he's here. He's listening. He's with us, always in our hearts. The George is with us and also with you. <laughs> A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Brienne. Well, the maester parts from them and Brienne heads back to the inn because Sansa was not here. Was she in Old Town? Now, she thinks on no, Brienne. <laughs> At least she's like probably not. I'm like, thank God, thank God. And she thinks on what Brella told her in King's Landing. Yes, Brella had told her that both Sansa and Renly were traitors, and no lord since they had turned traitor would touch her. So now she only washes for the sex workers. But she does tell Brienne what she had told Lord Tywin. That Sansa was always praying. No one just, just every time, every time I read that, I was just like, Kasha. She kind of was. It's it's a similar vibe. It's a similar vibe. I mean, have you seen? There are music videos to that. It's good. It's Mm -hmm. so good. Not Uh, happen with Sansa Stark clips. I mean, it is a Sansa Stark song. Praying by Kasha is actually a Sansa Stark song. Just gonna put that out there. Have a great day, everyone. Get sad at your own disposal. Yeah. Sansa was always praying. She's always out there praying. That's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, what is that word? Clue. It's not enough. Brella explains that Sansa would light candles in the sept, but then at night, go to the godswood. That does seem like a very devout person. Brella says she's gone north to where her gods were. And Brienne doesn't know where she'd look in the north because it's like really big. She's like, maybe she would seek her kin. She still had an uncle and a half brother at the wall. And Edmure was captive at the twins, but Brendan Blackfish had River Run. And Liza's in the Vale. Uh, she might have gone there. And she's like, but which one? And I'm just like, I don't know, Brienne. Like, you're going around the Riverlands and it seems real dangerous. And you know that the Lannister's around it. So I just, I just feel like it's easy. Like, we could just really roll out river run i feel like she really had the right of it right like uh, that sansa would have gone to her maid to her aunt she's a young maid she wouldn't have gone to her uncles or the wall the wall's too far she's so close and she even thinks she's like the eerie will be simpler (sighs) and she realizes i've come the wrong way and she comes across a woman and some pigs and asks which way the inn is the woman's pretty you know, a little on edge because she's a giant woman with a, you know, well, she's wearing plain cloth today, but she's a giant woman. I don't know where that she doesn't know. Uh, and, and she's highborn. It does show, even if she isn't conventionally how you'd expect her to be. She goes to turn that way, but walks headfirst into a scrawny boy. The collision puts him on his ass in the mud. She offers a hand, but he squirms away. He looks no older than 10 to 12, and he's wearing a chainmail beanie and a long sword. He seems really familiar to her. And she's like, do I know you? And he's like, no, 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 my lady. And he runs off. She doesn't really feel like chasing him, but but she's like, I've seen this guy somewhere. Yeah, and 
Again, I love Brienne, but she is not, she's just like not private investigator material. She's like maybe strong like Jessica Jones, but not, not the detective part. Like this is a great example because like if she were a really good detective. She would have remembered where the suspicious boy looks familiar from. She's just like hired Pikachu. Detective Pikachu. <laughs> I love that movie. Detective Pikachu would have solved this in a Actually, heartbeat. No. I agree. I love that movie. He would have. He would have figured it out. He figured it out. Yeah. Uh, Brienne's just got a lot on her mind, though. You know, like Catelyn. Catelyn yeah. never figured shit out because she's busy. You know, she's wearing a lot of hats. They're wearing a lot of hats out here. <laughs> yeah. There's a. There's also something in this that, as she's thinking about Sansa possibly going to the Vale, she takes a wrong turn, <laughs> and the <laughs> quote, "She found herself in a dead end." Is that not? <laughs> That's it. That's the arc. I love my himbo uh, daughter. <laughs> she is our himbo daughter. Uh, I will say, like, going back to what you said about her as a as a PI or a detective and how Pikachu's better, agreed. And I would think that beyond some of the great stories we talked about with Shiloh last week, some of the medieval influences, Don Quixote is, is very much Brienne. I mean, Interesting. Dunk the Tall is also him. You know, uh, Brienne is Dunk, Dunk is Cody. Anyways, it, I find it really interesting. Just uh, He's obsessed with chivalry from the books he's read, right? He, he decides to take up lance and sword and defend the helpless. He gets a squire, Sancho, who bears the brunt of his frustrations on the road. Although he promises, you know, I'll give you a wealthy isle someday. It's all yours. And they go out on horseback on their first expedition. Uh, he's like, I'm going to be a knight and do the best things in the world. And he fails. He fails horribly. And he goes out on his second expedition and he starts actually having to kind of compromise parts of himself. And he becomes a bandit. You know, he's hmm. not really just a knight anymore. He starts kind of riding that line of not really being a savior anymore he starts stealing from the people and acting out because of threats to his knighthood and even ends up abandoning a little boy in the hands of an evil farmer that he like is very sure is evil and he's like this guy doesn't seem right but he says he's fine so i'm just gonna leave this kid here and like he leaves and he's like feels great feels good it's not good and all along his goal is to find a woman who he envisions as a princess but she's actually a peasant and on his way, he's also mocked for kind of his flamboyancies and how uh, how he looks and how he presents himself and his desires to live as a knight, but he perseveres through them. And there's even kind of this presence in Don Quixote having women fall in love with him everywhere he goes without huh. realizing it. Because I, I mean, when you think about it, Shadrich was hot for her. Shadrich was like, a oh, little, you're a hot motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was kind of smarmy yeah. about it. He was like, you sure? Because I could run up in there in those legs. I'd mm -hmm. get lost, but I'd find my way. Uh, and Jamie, obviously, very yeah. much so likes her. Heil Hunt. You know, you have all these suitors that she just like is like, go the fuck away. You're annoying me. And she, she doesn't quite realize, oh, they were in love with me. Yeah. I don't know. It's very much so. I mean, she has the very obvious Don Quixote plot in the story. And there's even from the story something I love. 
While this was going on, there came up to the inn a sow-gelder, who, as he approached, sounded his reed-pipe four or five times, and thereby completely convinced Don Quixote he was in some famous castle, and they were regaling him with music, and the stockfish was trout, the bread the whitest, the wenches ladies, and the landlord the castellan of the castle. And consequently, he held that his enterprise and Sally had been to some purpose, but still it distressed him to think he had not been dubbed a knight for it was plain to him he could not lawfully engage in any adventure without receiving the order of knighthood. Hmm. Et Interesting. It's not a real knight. Mm-hmm. Not a knight. So, yeah. Do with that what you will, Eliana. It is really, I, I really like this comparison that you made with her and Don Quixote and, and like this whole chasing after like knighthood thing, right? And I do, I, I feel like I feel like she's more pure than Don Quixote but well, yeah <laughs> and like that's so great also the he's also like a Sancho 40s Panza. dude yeah that's true oh yeah Sancho's it, pod absolutely that's that's really fun and the whole like yeah I mean that's kind of a mini Dantos. yeah also and she doesn't quite know what that's gonna really mean yet but she will she'll find out I can't wait till she finds out she adopted a child and she then almost gets him murdered. Cool, cool, cool. Exciting. Brianna, I'm calling services Exciting. on your Oh my ass. god. Uh, well, before we get to the adoption, which will be soon, she goes to the Seven Swords, where the common room is crowded with four septas in a corner and locals scattered around them, eating hot crab stew with chunks of bread. It actually sounds really good. A man, not quite five feet tall, with a bulbous, veined nose and a sour leaf reddened smile stands, offering his seat to her. Very, very nice of him. She declines, saying that she can stand, but he notes that, I don't know, your head is much closer to the ceiling than mine. And he's coarse but courteous, and Rian notices the crown of his scalp is shaved. Septa Rowell had told her that many holy brothers were tonsured to show they had nothing to hide from the father. There's something interesting in that, like, at first I was thinking of Tyrion, who had almost become a holy brother, so I can just hmm. see him kind of monked out with his little ring of hair. But also, it reminds me of Jamie shaving his head. Oh. In a way. He didn't obviously tonsure it, like it wasn't a tonsure. It was completely shaved, but it was also rickety, and it reminds me kind of of some of the, the people of the faith with shaved heads we're seeing on the road as well. Uh, and almost as an act of faith, like believing in himself, believing in Brienne, a leap to faith and believing in Brienne. There's also something here. Look, nine out of ten of the things that Brienne thinks are wrong with herself are literally because of Septa Rowell. Yeah. Like, I'm just putting this out there because she has this memory where she had asked Rowell, can't the father see through hair about how tonsuring makes people, you know, more more holy? And... She thinks, a stupid thing to say. She had been a slow child. Septa Roel often told her so. Um, like, it's literally true, though? Fuck off, Roel. Yeah. Yeah, the father can God see can see through, through everything. Absolutely. I think it's kind of like how dentists can tell if you've sucked dick. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought you were going to say if you haven't been flossing, even when you say that you are. <laughs> Like, you're oh no, they know that too. Lying. But well, they also know when you suck dick. I've never had one tell me. I've just read about it. Interesting. Yep. Good so for keep me. that one under your holster. <laughs> uh, 
for me. Good for uh, me. Yeah. Well, yeah, Setterwall sucks. And how are you going to tell people, like, Setterwall is wrong? Brienne was definitely right. Brienne's, like, a pro- prodigy, like, in theology, right here. And. I don't know, this exchange kind of reminds me of, like, how Sansa thinks that she's stupid because she's been told that she is by the Lannisters for so long. And because of, like, I mean, obviously things have, like, just gone terribly around her. So she's like, yeah, I must be stupid. And how we see Brienne just beating herself up about failing Renly and then a little bit maybe about the death of Cat, And so... I have literally just finished reading Dying of the Light today by George R. R. Martin, which I have read to do a like sort of semi Maester monthly reunion with the homies, Matt, aka Joe Magician and Michael Bookshelf Stud over on Matt's channel, like on Joe Magician's channel at some point soon. Coming out some po- at some point this month, and there's this concept put forth in Dying of the Light that I thought was really interesting, and it's this idea that when you name something, you kind of will it to exist, or you impose a, a will, or, or, you know, when you say that something is so, it makes it come true. And there's a character, not to spoil too much, who tells another character something kind of like, you actually aren't that weak. But also, no one has ever told you that you're strong. And, like, the character at first is like, I think I'm insulted until that character realizes, wait, no, this is meant to be a compliment. Because what they're saying is, like, how can you be strong if no one's ever told you that you're strong? Like, and and that's so much of, I think, Brienne's story here, too. Like, how can you become something if you've only ever been told you're something else? How can you see yourself, like outside the lens that the world told you to look through when all they tell you is like this is who you are and you just think you're wrong if you don't fit that and and this idea of like you are what you're named or like what people tell you you are like and and just man that when you're told that story enough like you end up believing it even if it's not true like you're weak or you're the monster who killed your mother or you're stupid when it comes to Sansa and Brienne so George is still, I think, a little interested in that. Yeah. Uh, And he may not have actualized it to its furthest extent yet. Maybe we'll see George get to new bounds. Maybe we'll get some named mothers that die. Maybe we'll get some, like, people have some arcs of happiness. No, there's not going to be happiness. There's, like, one woman character in this story, and out of like a million like men so i was like okay so this is this has been a pattern and i don't know that he's gonna like flesh out this concept too much in this story because he's already done it in that one i'm gonna be honest you know woman didn't really actually exist until 1983 right oh my god really wow (laughs) i'm so glad that like i'm alive (gasps) (sighs) and that's the female perspective for you guys there it is so Brienne tries to make conversation uh, with this man that she's met who offered her his seat. She takes his place and asks if he serves a holy house in Duskendale. He says closer to Maidenpool, but the wolves burnt them out. They rebuilt, and then swords came. He could not say whose men they were, but they took the pigs and killed his brothers. He squeezed inside a hollow log, yeah, it's fucked up, but others were too big. 
so they couldn't fit in their own, and at the end it was only him that was left. He, It says, it took me a long time to bury them all, but the smith, he gave me strength. When that was done, I dug up a few coins the elder brother had hid by and set off by myself. Aww. First mention of the elder brother in that awful, sad tale. Uh, we get a little mention of him, a little look at him to come. And not just in that, in his actual naming, but also we get the line, he could not say whose men they were. Mm-hmm. Just like in the elder brother speech of, and then the men, you know, go out, you're mine now, mm. the Lord says after they break to the side. <sighs> just a sad way to hide and watch your friends die. And I also think it's likely this was the mummers or the remnants of the mummers, oh, right? yeah. They're... They're haunting the margins of this yeah. in, in totality, and we're about to actually, I think, get a Shagwell mention. It's kind of what's about to happen, but it sounds just like the town where Jamie lost his hand outside of Maidenpool. Yes, that's a that's a great point. It absolutely is the Mummers. Wah, wah. I never noticed that. Wah, wah, yeah. wah. It is sad. All right, I like this man. Brienne gets to tell her tale. She's seeking her sister, and she's offering gold if anyone will help her find her. This means, like, I don't need gold. I just need soup. And also, unfortunately, he cannot help her. He's like, yeah, I I might know a couple of fools, but no pretty maids. He remembers one fool who was clad in rags and dirt and made in pool, but beneath those, he had motley on. And Brienne's like, I guess no one really ever said if Dantos were wearing motley. And I'm like, oh, Brienne, you should ask that question. You should have gotten your notebook out and written every single detail you could about Dantos, but anyway, she's like, "Was this him?" And she's like, "Were were he and Sansa separated?" But this guy doesn't know much more of the fool. Just that he saw him at the docks and again at the stinking goose, an inn slash bar and maiden pool that housed many sailors, even in Lord Tarly's rule. That's so good. Shagwell wears green and pink or gray and pinkish motley. Yeah. Yeah. It's so in it's, there, it's, and I don't I yeah. don't know that I realized that till this read. I mean, and I've read these books too many times. Uh, I only realized like, it because I was like, looking things up again. I was like, who is this? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Damn. I didn't think about the Motley, too. Wow, what a Motley crew. <laughs> Actually, they really were. <laughs> Literally. Uh, yeah, well, the fool that he speaks of, not, not Dantos... The fool he speaks of was seeking passage for three, not two. And she's like, who the fuck did they pick up? The imp? Uh, The man says, days later, a man boasted he had fooled a fool and had the gold to prove it. But the fool was nowhere to be found, nor his companions. Oh, his brave companions. But of course, this man was Nimble Dick, the one that fooled the fool. Yeah. And he, she was so close. She was really close. And you know why? I'm like, why did she only ask about the nose, and like not the body type for Dantos? You know, like Shagwell looked is like real scrawny, right? Yeah. And Dantos is not. We were so close. She has no clue what they look like. No clue. Anyway, she, I guess she could have found Brienne like. Buys- could she have not, oh, yeah. like, found someone who, like, knew their likeness or his likeness? I don't know. I think every time she got close, she got crossroaded. Yeah. Right? Like, Britney Spears crossroads. Oh, my God. <laughs> well. Brienne buys him a bowl of soup. 
and a cup of wine as well, and she starts to ponder Sansa's disappearance while forgetting to eat her own food, and he finishes that food for her and says, A big woman like you needs to keep your strength up and should eat more before going on the perilous road again. After he's fucking eaten her soup. <laughs> I, it is kind of a fucking power move. I, I do love that. It's very cute. I don't know why. I would. I think because I would do that. I'd be like, oh man, you just gotta eat more. <laughs> eat your food while I'm eating. Anyways... You should really eat more. (laughs) (sighs) Well, she does get very close, right? Because interestingly soon, she's like, oh, huh, the bloody mummers mummers took me and Jamie on the same road. And Jamie even, like, tried to kill me on this road. But that made no matter because George and Shagwell would have raped her half a hundred times if Sir Jamie had not told them she was worth her weight in sapphires. And I'm like, it's right there. It's Shagwell. There's the Shagwell reminder. Like you said. Anyways. That's it. We won't be fooled. <sighs> we will. We're the, the- fools. <laughs> I'm, I am fool. Are you Florian and I'm Jean-Quil? What's happening? Ooh. What is happening? Ooh, that's a sexy couple's costume. We could, we do, could it. do it. You know, I'm the tall one. So, yeah. I'm just kidding. I guess I'd have to be. I'm Anyways. Kind of a fool. <laughs> the man notices her sadness and offers her strength for thoughts of her sister. And he says, the crone and the maiden are with you, but I must leave you. I'm going to King's Landing on foot. Ugh. The crone and maiden are with her, so Sansa and Sansa's mother Mm -hmm. and Arya are with her, when you think of it that way. The girls are with her and the crone. Deadass Catelyn Stark. Indeed. Rip. She is not resting in peace. (laughs) (laughs) She's... She's busy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Stark is not resting in peace, but this guy, this dwarf, is currently resting in peace. He's killed for a bounty from Cersei. It's him, the guy with the bulbous nose that she kills because it's a dead ringer that he's not Tyrion. It, he was sweet. I feel really bad. Me too. I actually really liked him. I liked him a lot. He had a nice, gentle like atmosphere, and he was like, well, you should sit. You're going to hit your head on the roof. I'm like, that's so nice that you would say that. And I also just like his inclusion because like in another life where this chapter is in the same book as A Dance with Dragons, you know, you'd probably get him introduced in like a, the general vicinity of like Penny being introduced. And I th- just think that they mm. also serve as like great contrast to Tyrion's just like misanthropic nature, um, which is understandable because his family's like super mean to him. And, you know... That that's good, in fact, to include many characters from a marginalized group so that no one has to represent the whole group. Especially because like this man is super chill and seems so at peace with himself. He's like just You know what he stealing uh, her food. He really reminds me he reminds me of again, to come back to Tyrion, of his alternate life of like Yes. He wanted to be a holy man, right, at one point because you know, he would get to learn and do things he liked and read about philosophy and read about history and learn to heal people. And, you know, I always actually complain in my head about Tyrion chapters when we get to them eventually. But now I'm like, you know, some of that stuff is very sweet of his view. And it reminds me of that. Like, this is what Tyrion could have been had he been allowed to pursue what he wanted. 
had he been encouraged to. Yeah, he's like living like one of Tyrion's dreams. You know, the other one was like, and then the he would die. Yeah, I mean, we all die. Two of his dreams, dying, dying. Wow, of Tyrion's that's true. Dreams. He considers that one for a little bit. Yeah, he uh, even his smarmy attitude though. So it's interesting because it's almost like you know, Brienne's just meeting these variants of the Lannisters along the way. Yeah, but his smarmy attitude is like you know, it's wholesome. You know, cute. Yeah, it's, Tyrion's it's is like hurtful. <laughs> Uh, which makes sense because he's been hurt a lot in his life but anyway Brienne stays at the table she doesn't often drink yeah she literally thinks she finds that wine settles her belly and I just have to say I'm concerned about her appetite we talked about how she probably eats a lot of protein and veggies in the beginning of the chapter last chapter she drank like a whole thing of goat's milk and then she ate goat roast and then she thinks wine settles her belly? What? Maybe this is just, like, coming from, like, I grew out of lactose allergy as a child, which I never really grew out of it. It's just, you know, my body, whatever. But what? Like, that's a lot of goats, girl. And then on top of that, today, later, you're going to learn she has three eggs in a glass of milk. Dude, her stomach's so strong. Like, it's not just, it's not just her, like, all of this. I'm like, holy shit. What on her is not strong? That's so true. Her detective skills. Um, her self-esteem. Also that. Also that. And, yeah, no, I don't understand how wine is settling her belly after all of this. Like, that's fucking wild. Oh, man. Well, Brienne's pondering where to go next. To Knit Maiden Pool for Nimble Dick and the Stinking Goose, or the town was desolate when she last saw it it was burnt and empty with corpses in the water and feral dogs skulking totally totally a great appetizing place it sounds like to go but she does have remember jamie singing six maids in the pool and laughing when she begged him to just shut the fuck up (laughs) oh that's cute uh feral dogs skulking didn't think about that but there you go biter Oh, Rorge, yeah. Shagwell. I was like, Those are your feral dogs, and eventually the actual dog helm. It's in. I thought like the the description of like how desolate the place sounded kind of reminded me of the beginning of the Sworn Sword. That place. It does, grim. right? And, and you know, there there really are that in the very beginning of like we just heard from uh from the man of the faith digging the graves of course, mm, yeah, uh, yeah. is Hedge Knight, the very beginning of the Hedge Knight. Yes. It, it really has a great alignment. And something George has kind of backwritten, I guess you could say, is Jean Quill Dark. Yes. Right? Yes. Kind of comes up here. Uh, we talk about the six maids in a pool in Duskendale and the Scarlet Shadow Jean Quill Dark in Fire and Blood. George writes Queen Alisan almost being assassinated uh, at the pools of Maidenpool. And Jaehaerys hires his very own Brienne, Jean-Quil Dark, half-sibling to Lord Darklyn, to guard Alysanne. So another king's guard, in my opinion. Uh, she becomes the scarlet shadow to her, always near. And she also was a mystery knight. She showed up at yeah. the Golden Wedding, and she won a favor with the small folk for winning. She was the favorite. So Brienne being right back here, where Dantos grew up, hoping to find and save her own Queen Alessandra, for yeah. example... It's just really well done. I will say, if you haven't read Fire and Blood, very enriching. Yeah. Very enriching. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah. Overall fan. Overall. 
Scarlet Shadow, Pokemon Red versus Brienne, Pokemon oh, Blue. Yeah. That's it. Ruby Red. Actually, All of them. yes. Ruby Red and Sapphire Blue. Those were actual also Pokemon games. Right? Holy no, no, no. Pokemon shit. Ruby. It's no, all Pokemon about Ruby Brienne. and Pokemon Sapphire. There we go. There we go. That is what this is about. There you go. Yep. It was foreshadowing. Wow. Um, Amazing. Brienne thinks she may hit Maidenpool and then go north. And tears at her bread, eavesdropping on the remaining tables. Most of them speak about Tywin Lannister's death to different responses, and they're like, murdered by his own son, the vile little dwarf. And of course, the responses of, the king is just a boy who will rule us. Well, some say Tywin's brother, Lord Tyrell, or the king's slayer, and I'm like, haha. Cersei slash no one. No one's ruling you. You're all on your own. <laughs> this is what you get, and you're gonna have to like it or die. Uh, and it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get worse. We have this little quote. Not him, declared the innkeep. Not that oath keeper. He spat into the fire. Brienne let the bread fall from her hands and wiped the crumbs off on her breeches. She'd heard enough. She dreams of Renly's tent later that night, and she dreams of trying to protect him, but her limbs are stiff and frozen, and when she gets to the shadow sword slicing through the steel, the dying king isn't Renly. It's Jamie Lannister, and she had failed him. Yes. So... You talked about this earlier in the chapter, right? With um, Brienne willing Renly's memory when thinking of naked Jamie and the, you know, what what that all means, etc. And later this chapter, she kind of projects a little on Sansa. It's like, I'm going to do all this for you. But I think she's kind of doing that with Renly too. Just kind of interesting considering what we've said about Robert, because I'm trying to be like really equitable here. And... You know, as you were saying in earlier in the chapter, right? Like Jamie's scary because he's real, right? He's not unattainable. She doesn't have to really, really worry about Renly. Renly is though for many reasons. We've discussed some of them last chapter with Shiloh, but especially because he's dead, she doesn't really have to worry about getting rejected in that way. But I almost feel like, again, because I'm being like tr- equitable here, you know, she's kind of done something to Renly that Robert did to Liana and her memory. She's turned. Renly into this like symbol of perfection and courtesy he's like the perfect gallant king and she would have been the knight to protect him and she's just shaped this like false narrative of him for her stories but as we know she like never really knew Renly right we see that from what Laura says to Jamie of how Renly really thought of Brienne but also from our own insight into Renly from his interactions with Catelyn and Ned and also we know like we know that Renly had his secrets that obviously he couldn't like share with everyone in Westeros in terms of his sexuality and being gay. And Brienne uses this illusion of Renly as a shield at this moment against her memories with Jamie, because as, as you said, Jamie's someone that she actually does know, like fully better than probably most people ever, because it, it was just contrasted with how everyone else like. They're the ones who have an illusion of Jamie, their own fabricated narrative where he's like the villain and the Kingslayer, but she knows all of his flaws, right? She knows that, yeah, I mean, he's into killing kids, I guess, but she also knows that he, he's got a heroism to him versus Renly, and she's she's living a, with these fairy tales about him and her own role in those songs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, awful. 
it's the world that's awful. I'm honest. Right? <laughs> Same thing Sandor says. Beauty and the Beast and Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And I will say, at the same time that she's freaking out, thinking like, how could you? How could you say this about my Jamie, who I failed earlier at the bar? Like, you know, dumping her bread down. And then in her dream, she's like, no, I failed Jamie, girlfriend. At the same time, he's writing in the white book and he's going... Return safely to King's Landing by Brienne, the maid of Tarth. You didn't fail him, babe. You made it into the mentions. You made it into his live journal. You were tagged. You were added. (laughs) He's also like, yeah, you can totally hit me up for a job reference. Of course, Brienne. I will write a reference letter for you. You've literally been written in, bitch. You got this. Uh, Yeah. Interesting, because that is, I mean, he unveiled the most of him he's ever unveiled to anyone yeah. like from zero to hundred like in a day mm-hmm. he was like well since we're now on this horrible final destination hell trip together and i got my hand chopped i guess i should just pass out in your arms and tell you that you know i saved the world but i could never tell anyone yeah <laughs> and that's real not again like this renly that she she's put on a pedestal yeah and i don't know that's not like th- this read you and i have kind of unveiled maybe like we're more nuanced on Renly than we thought. Uh, but not to her. Like, I mean, their relationship. She never knew him. She didn't. She didn't. He was her perfect knight and king who stood up for her that one time. And then she made an entire story about him. Which, that's what children do. I, like, don't fault her for doing that as a child. But she's not anymore. I remember idolizing, like, dudes or making up stories in my head that, oh, yeah. like, it was some whatever more romantic situation than it was when, like, now I look back and I'm like, I don't know, he drove you home from the library and you had a crush on him, dude. You were, like, 10. Yeah. Or, you know, 16. I don't know what ages are. I've never been one, but... And she's, again, yeah. we'll get to this later, she's kind of doing that with Sansa now, too, right? She doesn't Yeah, she is a bit... There's a... I mean, she's trying to, though. She's kind of like... <laughs> She's like the Bashemi meme, you know, like, hello, fellow students. Um, yeah. She, she is. She's rolling up with her sword and her bedroll, and she's like, I could be cool. She She's like, this is the story, right? This is what I'm supposed to do, and this is what you want me to do, right? And so, <laughs> Hello, fellow I mean, we'll, we'll see what Sansa's thing is going to be like. I definitely think it's not going to be like in the show. I can say that. But, yeah. but it, it'll yeah. be interesting how that all plays out, right? She has this idea of who Sansa is based on Catelyn's stories. I mean, even Arya, right, now has a very different idea of Sansa than who Sansa is now. And I do think that, to an extent, like, there will be that aspect of, we don't actually need you. Yeah. You know, like, thanks, but we're good. We're Gucci, and I think she'll have to probably earn her, like... She'll probably have to earn her place in some aspects there, yeah. e- emotionally. Those those girls aren't going to trust anyone for, like, at least two decades. I feel I would feel bad for Brienne if that happened, but I also think it would be really good for Brienne, personally, to be told that. Because then she has to, like, go mm-hmm. be like, oh, I have to be my own person now. <laughs> I mean, it's Davos style, right? Yeah. Davos going to look for Rickon, and it's like, honey, no, you need to just break off, go home to your wife, yeah. you know? Actually, though. children God, live your own uh, life. But Brienne doesn't have that. Brienne doesn't have that. But she does have in the morning someone waiting 
for her, and she's Ooh. waiting for this person as well, Ooh. the captain's sister. Oh. Right? And, and yeah. <laughs> I thought she's drinking a cup of milk and honey with three raw eggs mixed into it. And I'm like, why don't you just bake it at this point, Brienne? That does just sound bake good. it and make a cake. Yeah. I don't know. This beverage, this is like fucking, this is a Gaston. You know, like yeah. he eats like a dozen eggs, roughly the size of a barge. That's Brienne. Don't egg me on here. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, is this the egg in the Dunkin' Egg? This e- might be. This These are the eggs egg. that have been dunked. It's not Podrick. It's the raw eggs that Brienne consumed. Oh that's Aegon. That's why there's These eggs have been oh dunked. My God, that's why they there are three raw eggs. Milk. The three raw eggs symbolize the three dragons. Of the dragon. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. We cracked it. That's Hell, a sacrifice mean, and fire. <laughs> we cracked the egg. Oh my god. Uh, hey, you gotta break a few eggs to make an egg on. Um, you know, I, I will also say, does that make Jamie the Prince Darren, right? Because he's like, I dreamed of you. It does. It does. Kind of. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And I mean... Ooh, yeah. are there Dunk Darren... Are there? Oh, do they exist? Oh yeah, I'm sure they have to. No, right? I'm very sure they do. I believe it exists. I'm very sure it exists. There's no way it doesn't. It absolutely exists. This has in to in my exist. heart. I know. What? What do you know? Also, Gaston's from Beauty and the Beast in, too. Um, he is from Beauty and the, he's uh, Red Ron at Hyle Hunt. Anyways, um, anyways, I'll look for this on my own time, not on company time. But if you have Dunk X Darren stories to share, memories from your experiences with Dunk and Darren (laughs) from the internet, Uh, you can find this at Girls Gone Canon. Shoot shoot us a DM or Canon at gmail.com. C A N O N. (laughs) Oh my god. All right. We have the shield. We got to talk about the shield because it is just beautiful. And how we're going to talk about it is I'm going to read to you this passage here. And then I'm going to relate it to something completely different. Get ready. But it's actually still the same. Okay. Absolutely the same, though. Okay. (laughs) Get ready. It was more a picture than a proper coat of arms. And the sight of it took her back through the long years you're 19, to the cool dark of her father's armory. She remembered how she'd run her fingertips across the cracked and fading paint, over the green leaves of the tree, and along the path of the falling star. And of course, from Duncan Egg we have, The field should be the color of sunset, he said suddenly. The old man liked sunsets. And the device... An elm tree, said Egg, a big elm tree, like the one by the pool, with a brown trunk and green branches. Yes, Dunk said, that would serve, an elm tree, but but with a shooting star above, could you do that? The girl nodded. Give me the shield, I'll paint it this very night, have it back to you on the morrow. (sighs) And of course, when he finally gets it back, she had made a better job of it than he could ever have hoped for, even by lantern light. The sunset colors were rich and bright, the tree tall and strong and noble. The falling star was a bright slash of paint across the oaken sky. Yet now that Dunk held it in his hands, it seemed all wrong. The star was falling. What sort of sigil was that? Would he fall just as fast? 
and sunset heralds night. Oh, Brienne, what trouble have you just brought by getting this shield painted? What kind of sigil is that? Hmm. The stars falling, Brienne. I... It's just such a pessimistic way of looking at it. Because I... For me, when I think of it, I'm like... You make a wish on a falling star. It makes wishes come true. And that's what Brienne's trying to do. Yeah... That is a very sweet and serene way to look at it, Eliana, and I love that about you. I'm the fool. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Jean Quill, and I'm a cold cunt, and I'm here to tell you some shit's gonna go down. Because again, adventure number two for Cody was not great. I'm worried. I'm real worried about my daughter, Brienne of Tarth. I am worried. I'm worried about, yeah... But, you know, I'm also worried about that that I'll never know. It happens. Hmm. (laughs) Well, she pays the artist the second half of her commission, then buys some cheese and hard bread and flour from the cook. And then she's off again on the road, passing the worst part of where the fighting had been between the North, the Westermen, the Stormlanders, and the Knights of the Reach. The men who had died here were taken to the tombs beneath the sets of Duskendale. But the northern dead, which were far more numerous, were buried in common graves by the sea, marked by a wooden sign. Here lies the wolves. Brienne says a silent prayer for them, for Catelyn Stark, for Rob, and all the men who died with them. Because why were they at Duskendale? That's what Rob wants to know. She's praying, she's shaking her magic eight ball, she's like, these were Glover men? Yes, her magic eight ball says, outlook good. These were Glover men more than likely, especially because Car Starks had likely gone home. Yep. Bummer. Real bummer. Uh, she, she remembers the night that Catelyn learned Bran and Rickon died. She had said, I have no sons but Rob, as they sat there in the inn. Brienne had reached out to give her comfort. Uh, she had thought to, to hold her hand, but stopped herself, fearing Catelyn would flinch from her. Mm. Instead, Catelyn had done the opposite, because people just loved to get vulnerable with her. She showed her hands to her, her the scars in her hands, and talked about her daughters, Sansa, a miniature lady, and Arya, willful and likely dead. How heart-wrenching is that? Anyone who doesn't flinch from her, Eliana, like, she was like, I should just, oh wait, she might flinch from me. That was her first thought. She's so used to people flinching from her that she has to guard herself and she thinks she's the problem when they are the problem. They are the problem. Not you, Brienne. Agreed. They are the problem. Ugh, her vulnerabilities, right? And Jamie and Kat being the only ones that don't flinch from her. And even more so of Kat being this mother-type figure in these moments for her before sending her off. And Brienne wanting, you know, to comfort her and also to please her, to make her proud, to, to do her bidding. Uh, but but here we kind of see she's becoming more like Catelyn in A Clash of Kings. Uh, back then, Brienne ate methodically, especially mm-hmm. during that scene that's brought up. But now she's eating her food more absently and listening to conversation and becoming more hollow, like Catelyn said, I am become a sour wow. woman. I take no joy in meat nor mead. Song and laughter have become suspicious strangers to me. That That is Brienne's arc by the end of this book, right? What does she say to Nibble Dick? 
sorry, I couldn't trust you. I don't know how to do that anymore. Like Catalan says, I am a creature of grief and dust and bitter longings. Brienne's adventure is tearing her apart a little bit. And if it doesn't, then others will. <laughs> Ow. That's such a that's that's a great comparison of how how even as she eats, right? As you said, it's absently like Catelyn, and yeah, the adventure, it, it the quest, it's taking something out of her. How much is it going to take? I I mean, we have a statement here, right? But I mean, she's losing herself because she's trying to fit some person from the songs and not her, right? She's trying to be what other people want her or need her to be instead of who. Brienne needs her to be. And and we see the that kind of ominous that ominous idea of what we have just been talking about when she's like Sansa though I will find her my lady. Brienne swore to Lady Catelyn's restless shade. I will never stop looking. I will give up my life if need be, give up my honor, give up all my dreams, but I will find her. Don't do it. God, that line is kind of haunting, right? Swore to Catalan's restless shade. Yeah. Boy, you don't know. <laughs> it is restless. It's not a shade. It's Buckle very up. physical. <laughs> she throws a lot of shade. That is what Lady That's for sure. Is. Yeah. Yeah. And again, she's projected a lot on Sansa. And I'm like, this is unhealthy, Brienne. This is unhealthy. <laughs> this is not a good road. And speaking of not good roads, beyond the battleground, the road runs beside the shore. And there are other travelers on the road. Fishing villages and fisher folk often took this road. This road's actually probably fine. She rides past the fishwife and her daughters, and she asks her question. They take her for a night at first, and then they shake her heads and giggle behind their hands when they find out that she's a woman. And so after that, she keeps her helm on. Barefoot boys run beside her in the first village, and they offer to sell her clams, crabs, and one of them offers to sell his sister. I love this because it just makes me think of Arya, right? Mm -hmm. Clams, crabs, and one their sister. Mussels, cockles, clams, as she wheeled her barrow through the Ragman's harbor. Uh, even if it's not specifically stated, the feast plots are being drawn into this POV. Yeah pretty sad though when she that guy selling his sister yeah that's also sad it's uh it's kind of like half cute but then you're like oh that kid's serious yeah because they need to eat yeah <sighs> so when brienne leaves the village it's raining a storm's on the way and her ears are ringing but she'd rather be on horse than on a boat she's not about the boat life <laughs> Oh, I want a scene of her on a boat, yeah. like maybe with Sansa or something, be and fun. her being like, this is terrible, her retching. Yeah, oh, that's great. Or her with Davos. That would be There you go. That'd be very fun. Her with someone on a boat. It's going to happen. We're going to see Brienne hurling from motion sickness. Uh, she comes to a fork in the road, again, another time this episode. A pile of stones marking a ruined castle. The right fork goes up towards Cracklaw Point, full of bogs and pine barrens, and the left goes to Maidenpool. She dismounts, taking shelter in the ruins of the castle. <sighs> Part of the main keep still stood, its triple towers gray granite like broken walls, their merlin's yellow sandstone. Three crowns, she realized as she gazed up through the rain. Three golden crowns. This had been a hollered castle. Sir Dantos had been born here like as not. Iron hinges remain, rusted in the door frame. 
but the roof's still sound. It's dry otherwise within, and she looks for dry food around, seeing what there is, until she hears a horse on the road and hides in the shadows. She does not intend to be captured on this road once more. The rider's small, and she wonders if it's the mad mouse. Maybe he thought she was easy prey, because she was a woman. Yeah, Brienne was all like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, you can't fool get fooled again. That's what she can't said get, about this road. Can't get fooled again. <laughs> and, fool me one time. Yes, uh, Lord Grandison's Castellan had made the error of thinking she was easy prey because she was a woman. Humphrey Wagstaff, age 56, with a hawk nose and a spotted head. The day they were betrothed, he warned Brienne that she would have to be a proper lady when they wed or he would be forced to chastise her. Brienne was 16 and no stranger to practicing in the yard. And somehow, she summoned the courage to say she would only accept chastisement from a man who could outfight her. So reluctantly, <laughs> Wagstaff agrees. He dons his armor to teach her her proper place. But you know what? He gets put in his place. Motherfucker. Yeah. They fought with blunted swords and still she broke his collarbone, two ribs, and their betrothal. And Got him. Agreed. He was her third prospective husband and her last. We'll find out about some of the other betrothals later throughout this. But, dude, fuck this guy. This guy... Fuck this guy. I'm glad she beat him I up love- so much. It's so good. Her father did not insist again. Damn right. Damn right he didn't. That's what I thought, Selwyn. You better fucking stand down, motherfucker. Yeah. (laughs) I bet not. Uh, Brienne doesn't intend to partner with Shadridge if this is him. Uh, She starts thinking how she could defeat him. Uh, she She would have reach and strength. She is as strong as other knights and quicker than any woman her size had any right to be, Sir Goodwin her master at arms used to say. And she had stamina, a noble gift. Victory in fighting with sword and shield was granted to men with most endurance, and Brienne had been taught to fight cautiously, conserving energy and strength and baiting her foes to waste theirs. Goodwin had said, Men will always underestimate you, and their pride will make them want to vanquish you quickly, lest it be said a woman tried them sorely. She learned the truth of it once she went into the world, even Jamie Lannister had come at her that way, in the woods by Maidenpool. If the gods were good, the Mad Mouse would make the same mistake. He may be a seasoned knight, she thought, but he is no Jamie Lannister. Yes, again, like we talked about last chapter. I mean, he thought, damn, this bitch is getting me. I'm exhausted. I am exhausted, is what he thought when she was attacking him. Yeah. Uh, and I have to say, that line... Men will always underestimate you. Mm-hmm. Armor yourself in it, and it will never be used to hurt you. Yeah, this is the good way to do that. <laughs> this is the smart way to do that. A literal woman's weapon. Yes. With weapons. Yes, and also the vanquish, vanquish you quickly, you know. They always do. They come They come quickly. They come early. <laughs> Ask Jamie. I think that's what this is about. But um. Oh my god, it's about sex. It kind of is. When, it, when it's about them, it is. Um, her whole arc, though, in Feast, besides besides the sex part, and this like pursuit of what seems like a fruitless quest and really fucking difficult. I speaking of stamina, like that's that's a kind of stamina too. To be like, yeah, I'm committed. I'm gonna 
go everywhere in Westeros if I fucking have to, mm-hmm. and to not give up until you fulfilled it. That's that's also kind of stamina, because I'm sure many of these other bounty hunters, right, have given up. Not Sir Shadrick, right? The horse arrives. It isn't him, probably because Sir Shadrick actually like is Went making progress. <laughs> Bummer, and it's in fact the boy who bumped into her at Duskendale, and the same boy that she saw in Rosby. So now she's piecing it together. She jumps on her mare and goes after him as he pe- passes by, never looking back once until she trots up and whacks the horse's butt with her flat of her sword. The boy goes flying once more, landing again in mud. A hard week for Pod in general. She asks his name. We know it because it's reread. And he, he does stutter it out. He's Podrick Payne, and she feels a rush of sympathy for him. <sighs> I love this. This memory that comes rushing to her. Yeah. It, it's very relatable. She, like, instead of being mad and instead of attacking him, she thinks this memory. She remembered a day at Evenfall and a young knight with a rose in his hand. He brought the rose to give to me, or so her septa told her. All she had to do was welcome him to her father's castle. He was 18, with long red hair that tumbled to his shoulders. She was 12, tightly laced in a stiff gown, its bodice bright with garnets. The two of them were of a height, but she could not look him in the eye, nor say the simple words her septa had taught her. Sir Ronnet, I welcome you to my lord father's hall. It is good to look upon your face at last. But that's all we get of that for now, because, you know, you gotta piece the rest together. It's a reread. We know what happened. I love her gown, that she had rubies mm-hmm. in there. Ruby red uh, garnets, sorry, is what she had. Just beautiful, bright red. And those garnets are A, I'm sure they were supposed to complement Ronnet's hair, I'd guess, or be mm-hmm. symbolic of that. But I'm sitting here and I'm like, red? Interesting. Are those Lannister red? Are they? Think of the symbolism. I do think the way that we actually see her comfortable in clothing later, like the clothing that Jamie's people fit her with. This line is interesting. Someone had dressed her in woman's clothes again, but this dress fit much better than the hideous pink rag the goat made her wear. Uh, and she later says, Septa Donise patted out the bodice to give it that shape. So obviously her dress and her septa it's a stiff new gown. It doesn't sound like it had been padded out for her or, you know, built built in to fit her body right. Interesting how she feels in the two separate outfits about herself. Absolutely. And of course, how she feels like in, I mean, in the armor, right? Now, yeah. now I'm going to have to think about that a little too. And how free she is, surprisingly. Yeah. But also if, she, if she's hiding herself too much in it, you know, because she pulls down the mm-hmm. helm because she doesn't want people to laugh at her. Because this is this mm-hmm. is what she's been taught to expect, right? Embarrassing situations all the time. People laughing at her. If she just beat them up more, no one would laugh. Beat everyone up. Fight every battle in your mind, Brienne. <laughs> at once. <laughs> and anyway, so... Podrick explains that he's the hand squire. He fought with him in battle, and he shouted half man, half man about it. And I'm like, why doesn't he just say Tyrion, right? Because at first she's like Tywin, he's like, no, the other one. And I'm like, I get that this is supposed to be poetic and descriptive of what happened. And I, I, for me, it just feels unnatural as dialogue, because again, it's like way more words to say than for a kid, like a nervous kid to just spit out and say Tyrion. I'm like, you know his name, you know your employer's name. 
But anyways, at the beginning of the chapter, we talked about Brienne feeling shy when talking to strangers. And here it is coming full circle as she feels sympathy for this kid and thinks about her own past. A nervous boy pod, not great at speaking to strangers, as we can see. So, yeah, here this it is. is her chance to to be strong for Pod and to give Pod a place to you know develop himself, like she so terribly wanted and desired and needed. Yes. This and yeah, they, they share a similar interest, right? They both are looking to find Lady Sansa because that's what he tells her. He says, "I'm here to find her, Lady Sansa." He says, "You're looking for her." Brella told me. She's his wife, not not Brella, Lady Sansa. So I thought, if you found her... His face twisted in sudden anguish. I'm his squire, he repeated as the rain ran down his face. But he left me. <laughs> He's crying. <laughs> oh, he loved him. Poor Pod, poor little 12-year-old I Pod. I know. Sancho. Oh. I mean, Egg. I mean, Pod. Oh, oh fuck. <laughs> uh, uh, so sad. Poor Pod. You know, we're going to get a refresh on Pod's character next chapter, so we're not going to keep you today with it. But yeah. I-, I will say I'm much more closely drawn to him during this reread. Like, how how sad. and What a strong boyo following yeah. Brienne. It hasn't been safe, and it hasn't been easy, and mm-hmm. he's been very alone. Like, since the ripe age of four, He's been alone, and in a lot of ways, he is pretty parallel to Dantos, as we kind of mentioned earlier, that he is, you know, kind of a, a, a he's a lower cousin. He's not actually, like, a main pain. He's, like, a sub-pain. Wow, getting mm-hmm. dirty. And he was raised by people that he didn't even know. You know, he had no real family growing up, and wasn't even raised, really, as a family member. He was raised more as a servant than yeah. anything, so... And when he gets yeah, to King's I, Landing, like, his closest family member is, like, not, literally not someone he can, like, have a conversation with. Quite literally. Yeah. Quite literally. Uh, you know, I, I want to close this out with this thought on this this bit between Sancho and Don Quixote where they're discussing. Peace, said Don Quixote. Where hast thou ever seen or heard that a knight-errant has been arraigned before a court of justice, however many homicides he may have committed? I know nothing about Omesles, answered Sancho, nor in my life have I had anything to do with one. I only know that the Holy Brotherhood looks after those who fight in the fields, and in other matters I do not meddle. And I feel like that's the heart of this chapter, right? We got the faith. We got true knights. We got a true squire. We're on our trip. Our knight errant on an errand goes on, rides on. Indeed. Indeed. But now with a plucky sidekick. Oh, Pod. Indeed. Happy. I'm just happy he's here now. I am, but I'm not because I'm worried for him too. Yeah, that's true. I'm really getting worried about them. Really getting worried about them. You know, every... Look, they say after the first 24 hours that someone's gone missing, they're dead. And it's been like a decade under the influence. Oh my god. So Don't say that. These motherfuckers are dead. No, you're right. What if Pod dies? What if Lady Stoneheart... Brienne saves him, obviously, because Dunk would do anything for Egg, but like... But he survived in season eight. 
on Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, maybe he argued a really good contract. No, I, no you're right. It, it's anyone's game. Of Thrones. <laughs> and with that, that wraps up Brienne 2 in A Feast for Crows. Indeed, indeed. And again, if you have uh, memories of Dunk and Darren that you would like to send us. Oh my god. <laughs> you can find us on social media at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter. You can send us a tweet, AO3. shoot us a DM, or you can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. dot No, I'm just kidding. You can also subscribe to our feed. It is not a fanfiction.net feed. It is an RSS feed on many places. So if you want to get us to your device, your streaming device, to your streaming location, check us out at Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Podbean, where we are hosted, and of course, over at Patreon. Yes. And patrons in the $5 tier and above do get their own RSS feed and a bonus episode every month. And again, this month we are doing November. So excited. Can't wait to have Ashea and AK on with us again. Gonna be exciting to talk about Nymeria all throughout November. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Goodbye. See you next week. On the road again. <laughs>